And so I very much started off not as I'm going to build a billion dollar business. It was my, my wife is from New Zealand and she wanted to go back there to have a baby. So I was like, I want, you know, geographic independence, economic independence. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have the CEO and founder of Zencaster. They are the podcasting tool I'm using right now to record this. And his story is super impressive. He was actually working on a product for the music industry, wasn't getting traction. But then he saw that podcasters were getting hate tweets from fans unsubscribing because the audio quality was so bad. So he pivoted. He started making a product. He got thousands of customers for free. And then when he flipped the switch on paid, it really became a rocket ship. They went to $17,000 a month in MRR, then $80,000. They've gone on to raise millions of dollars in funding, and they're just now riding that podcast wave to, to a whole nother level. And the story is really impressive. He talks about how he... One, selected the right problem. Two, selected the right wave to ride when choosing an industry or category to go after. He talked about the hack he used on Twitter, now X, to find customers based on people kind of getting mad about the podcast audio content. And then he talks about being a like product-led growth company, now shifting to a, a marketing-led growth company and what they're doing. So th this one's super um, impressive how... Josh took essentially a lifestyle business and turned into, you know, a VC-backed company. But really hope you enjoyed this episode with Josh. And at the very end, he gives some really good advice. People starting podcasts or starting a company that I thought was really helpful. So hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, today on the podcast, I have someone who is literally responsible for this broadcast right now because he built the software that we are recording on. So I've got the CEO of Zencaster, Josh Nielsen on. Josh, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Jim. Really happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I saw you were kind of doing a podcast tour, I was like, I want to throw my hat in the ring. I love, you know, talking to people that have products or services that I actually use and hearing the journey. But very cool, man. Wait, where are you based out of? So I'm based in Salt Lake City, but no. I'm actually the only team member here. We're a fully remote team. I started the company while I was traveling the world. And so we've launched it in New Zealand, grew the team starting from when I was living in Thailand. Now I'm back here, but we've got team members from, you know, North and South America, Europe, all, all over the place. That's cool. True digital nomad. And you're, you're still living it up with fully remote. Well done. And for people that know, don't know, can you give the quick pitch? Like what is Encaster? Anything you can speak to the size and scale of the business because it's pretty impressive. Yeah, so the our, our, our initial kind of entry point in the market was, and this is going back several years now, we've been in the market for you know about eight years. And back then, well, as you know, most guests or co-hosts of podcasts are remote, like 80 plus percent. It's really hard to find really interesting guests over and over in your hometown to come on your show. So people back then were using predominantly Skype, which obviously now it's mostly Zoom to do those recordings, but both of those have an inherent problem where they record, at least Skype in that case, they would record you locally and you'd sound fine, 
uh, your guest, it would r- record them after it got compressed and went through the internet. And that, if you had bad internet connection, at best it was really compressed. At worst, it would have dropouts, robotic sounding voices, you know, things like that. And audiences were just flaming their uh, hosts saying, hey, I can't listen to this. I, I turned it off. I'm unsubscribing. And so it was a real major pain point because you found an audience, which is already hard in podcasting. And then now they're leaving just because of a quality problem. And so that was the first problem that we solved. We made a web-based platform where you can send a link to whoever you want to record with anywhere in the world. It opens them up in a, a, a Skype or Zoom or a Google Meet-like interface. But when you hit record, it records them locally on their end you locally on your end. We mix those together in the cloud after the fact. So you have that really high quality, same room sound. That was just the beginning. Now we've gone on to realize that, you know, podcasters have a lot of other problems aside from just getting that high quality recording. That's the starting point. And we know they need help with distribution, finding their audience, monetization, easy to use editing tools, all of the above and more. And so we've now expanded into being sort of a full service, all-in-one platform to help with all the different podcasting needs, as well as just helping people who more broadly identify as content marketers, maybe involved in podcasting, maybe not, still want to need recording tools, want to get their voice out on social and helping them like create viral clips with high, high engagement and viral potential as well. Yeah, no, it's a very impressive product and I've tested quite a few. I, I'm, I'm very happy with it. I told you even beforehand, just because it's, it's reliable and it's high quality. And so you guys have raised around, it looked like I saw like 4.6 million had been raised. And, and I want to get into, we'll get into like where you're at and where you're going, but I'd love to even take a step back. Talk to me about Josh before Zencaster, because I think a lot of people listening are, it's always tough to have that inflection point of like, like, it's easy looking, you know, like, oh, founders, high growth SaaS company, it's easy. But like, what were you doing leading up to this? And talk about that transition to, to jumping into this. Yeah, this very much did not start off as a startup, like a high growth startup endeavor. It was very much like I found out I had a baby on the way and I had already been kind of steeped in the startup space. I'd worked at some startups, was a contract engineer for some startups and I'd been working on some projects that were taking too long that were audio based. I was trying to build something for electronic musicians to help them collaborate online. Getting into music is is, is a hard, hard space, but it's where a lot of people start because it's fun. Then I realized yeah, I had a baby on the way. I needed a quicker path to revenue. And also I had been hearing some feedback like, I don't know about this music thing, but podcasters have a problem with their audio and getting files back and forth and things like that. And so I very much started off not as I'm going to build a billion dollar business. It was my, my wife is from New Zealand and she wanted to go back there to have a baby. So I was like, I want, you know, geographic independence, economic independence, and I want to be able to have decision making autonomy. I had been in some projects before where we were pulled in too many different directions about who wanted to do what and where. And so this was sort of the project that I wanted to pull all those things together. And it was very much about creating a great lifestyle rather than becoming a startup. And it wasn't until, you know, found product market fit, found success, got that first, you know, the goal was like 15K in, in monthly revenue. You know, hit, we hit that like after two years of running it. But once we charged, the, you started charging within the first month, we blew past that milestone. And then it was, okay, well, what's next? And at that time, the podcasting space actually just started taking off on its own. 
I was just lucky to be sort of at the front of that wave as it was building. Um, and that was really stuff that was totally outside of, I mean, I think we had, we did help kind of foster those communities, but the real thing that drove it was, you know, podcasts like Serial and This American Life who were just getting like millions of downloads per episode all of a sudden. And then, you know, everybody, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you know, whoever was like, okay, we need to get into podcasting. There's, there's money, there's an ad, there, you know, ad revenue there, all that sort of a thing. And so that's what happened kind of as we were building out the product. And that was when we said, okay, maybe it's time to look to the next stage of the company. Maybe we need to raise some money to, you know, take advantage of the lead that we had. We were the first mover to market in this kind of remote recording space for podcasting. And yeah, so I don't encourage people to just jump right into, you know, startups. It's a, it's a hectic space. But once you've already got that, you know, the product market fit and have that traction and, you know, you're in a space that's got big players with lots of money competing with you, then, you know, maybe it makes the right, maybe it's the right choice. As I like look in their rearview mirror to connect the dots, there's three things that stand out in that. One is you heard a problem. You're like, you're working on something that maybe it's a nice to have or it solves some problems, but it's not the biggest problem. But then you hear these other problems like, all right, let me go where the smoke is over here. There's one. Two, I feel like a lot of times in startups, we don't think through like the problem enough. Are we solving the right problem? It's a real problem. And two, is this something you want to work on for the next 10 plus years where it's a wave that's getting bigger and bigger? So you've clearly landed the plane on those first two. But then the third thing, this idea of like lifestyle design or lifestyle business, like for whatever reason, it gets a bad rap. I think it's the best thing ever. That's like exactly why I jumped in to do my own thing. It's like, I'd like to be able to like wear sweatpants and not have to like go in at this time and work from wherever. And you were able to like nail all three of those. Like, again, looking backwards, you look like a genius, but it's like, wow, that's that's very well done. But what I'm also interested in is how did you get your first hundred users or first hundred paying customers? Because it sounds like it was pretty, pretty quick. It was slow until it wasn't, which is kind of, I think, always the, the there's always that story hidden beneath it all. I actually, because I didn't have any funding and wasn't thinking in that direction at the time, I actually was taking contract jobs where I could work like, you know, four to six hours a day. And then I had the rest of that time to work on my personal project. And so I launched Zencaster. I mean, I ran it for eight 18 months, maybe almost two years for as a free service, wasn't charging anybody. I had to make a lot of interesting choices with the architecture and how we were dealing with the, the, the product to make that feasible. But, you know, we were servicing thousands of monthly active customers you know, for was like three or 400 bucks a month in like infrastructure costs. And how and did then, you get those first free users? Was it just like a forum? People have this problem, you put your link and then boom, it happens. No, actually, what was happening is uh, people were basically assaulting the hosts on Twitter verbally when their when their quality was bad, and so I had all of these search terms programmed into Twitter search that were like, like Skype fucked my podcast or sorry guys Skype messed you know, and I would anytime those would ping, I would just reach out and say, hey, we solved that problem, come check it out, and it was such a big pain point, and there weren't. There was no other solutions really for that at the time that almost all of them at least signed up and checked it out. A lot of them uh, signed up and are even still loyal users today. So that got us like 
zero to 100 ish. And then I think somebody product hunted it at that point. And that got us from like a hundred to a thousand. And then they kind of just orga- organically grew from there because you, it's a product you inherently use with other people. So you're always kind of bringing someone that's never heard of it before when you're inviting a guest onto the show. Right. Yeah. And the holiday, it's like it has a built-in viral loop, which is kind of magical, right? Because you're sharing it with people. What? That's super interesting. What one kind of call it there is what's nice about creating a product that actually solves a problem. It makes the marketing that much easier because you just go where the pain is, where people have that problem. And when it's going out to an audience, it makes you that much more of the the savior or the firefighter running into the burning building to to save the day. Because I'm a big fan of like the magic moment and like timing marketing and good for you for having those triggers and automation set up. That's uh, then that's very cool. So you're, you're getting these free users. It's clearly working. There's traction. You're, you're footing all the server costs and whatnot. You have to flip the switch to paid. Walk us through that. Cause I feel like there's this meme going around where it's like, this influencer that's selling their farts for $500, but then it shows the SaaS founder that's afraid to raise prices from like seven to $8 a month. Cause a lot of times SaaS founders will undervalue what they do. Like, was it easy for you? Like, boom, you know, 150 bucks a month, I got this. Or what was the thought process there? You know, I think I always knew I wanted to charge for it at some point. I was always, I think I did undervalue and I was afraid to know until I waited too long to pull that trigger. Also, I was doing it part time because I was still covering the bills by working for other people. Eventually, I, I wish I, I, I should look back. I, I don't remember exactly where we were at in the traction phase, but there was at least thousands of people using it. And I, I had, I just said, hey, I, I, I think there's money here. I think people will pay. I, I'm going to quit my job. I applied for like three or four credit cards all on the same day so that they like wouldn't see each other first, you know, and got like, I don't know, 80 grand in credit or something. And then (laughs) I just, I just spent, I took like that next like six, I think it took me maybe eight months from that point to um, actually get it all. Cause it was a lot, it was just a pain to figure out all the billing and, and all that stuff. And I was, you know, it always takes longer than you hope. And uh, it was all new to me at that time. So just ran up some money on credit cards until I was able to pull the trigger and kept my fingers crossed. And luckily that paid off because these were like high, these weren't low interest rate cards. You know, these are like 25%, whatever. Um, And, you know, luckily in the first month after adding paid plans, we still had, I still kept a free plan. Uh, as well, but we added like, you know, wave recording and some premium features. And in that first month, we went from like zero to, I don't know, 17K in MRR, something like that. It was a pretty magical moment and a big sigh of relief as well. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, that takes some conviction to take these credit cards because did you have such a high like NPS score or like low churn rate where you're like, this is going to work? Because if you look at, like investors, SaaS is the holy grail because of great margins. And if it has great retention, sign me up. Like what's the thought process that all like YOLOing in and, and doing the credit card game? I didn't even know what NPS score was at the time. So I, I read, I had this one, I read one book called Marketing for Developers and it was, 
mostly just about how to put together like the you know the metrics tool chain for an, an, an analysis and stuff. But I just knew that a lot of people were using it. It did solve a, a big pain point. And, you know, I just kind of had faith to, you know, a little bit of like, <laughs> let's find out, you know, let's, it's, I, how long, I was like already almost two years into it. I was like, how much longer am I going to wait and just see? Yeah. Part of the reason I did wait is, you know, this is all built on browser-based technology, which has gotten quite mature now. Back then it was very nascent and it was like, they would make an update that would like just break everything and you'd ha- and you'd have to figure out how to quickly fix it. And so there's always that fear of like the stability of it at the time. But eventually, you know, we got to a point where it felt pretty good and just kind of, yeah, had to YOLO it and see. Dude, that's amazing. So you, you, you get people paying, you're getting like r- real MRR. And then is this the point you go to fundraise or walk us through that? Because the, there's sometimes this fork in the road of like, I bootstrap this, I make it like profitable. I don't grow as fast, but it's like, it's all yours. And you go verse, Hey, you know, this is a first mover advantage. I don't want to lose that. I need to raise money so I can really ride this wave. Like what was the thought process that there on like which path to go down and where are you at today? Yeah. So we didn't definitely didn't raise it out right away out of that. I mean, at that point in time, it was still a one man team and I was trying to figure out you know, I, I brought on my first employee after we got the that that month. Brought actually bought ZencastER.com, which I it was it was a thousand bucks to buy that domain. And I was like, if I ever make any money, I'm gonna have to someone to buy first. We decided to not switch that domain. We just redirect it now. But you know, it wasn't until I you know, I'm very much an engineer, not a marketer and growth guy. I'm getting better, but I needed, I definitely needed help if I was going to try and go down that path of not only trying to get funding, but successfully getting funding and having a good plan for, you know, how to take turn, take that money and, and run with it. And so I had kept in touch with a buddy of mine from the first startup that, that I worked at. It was a startup called Mahalo. It was run by Jason Calacanis from LA. And he went on, stayed in LA. I left LA. It was too big of a place for me, but he went on and went to startup after startup. He joined a company called Flipagram. They got bought by ByteDance and then rolled up with another company and turned into what became TikTok. Wow. And so he had just a lot of experience and sort of on what the what that process looks like of being in a funded startup and going through acquisition and doing all the product-led growth stuff. And so I his name's Adrian Lopez. Me and him decided to join forces. And, you know, I think at that point we were at like, 70k MRR, something like that, and then you know we we scaled, we scaled that up together a little bit further. To we were about you know I think over a million in ARR, and then that's when we decided, hey, let's try and raise. We started kind of filling out the market, and there was interest, but people were still sort of didn't. I think they thought Spotify had like already won the podcasting space at that point. They had purchased Anchor. They had a billion dollars they were putting into the market, buying up companies. And so there was this idea that Spotify had already like won it, which obviously didn't happen. They sort of majorly, I think, had to apologize to his stakeholders about blowing some of that money in the way that they did. But so, but then COVID happened. And then that's when, you know, we saw like, you know, not even like 
not even just double digit growth, but, you know, 20, 30% a month over a month growth for a while because of everybody was at home, bored, trying to start a podcast, had some money in their pocket, thought maybe they'd start their own business, whatever. And so that's when we had a good opportunity to go out there and raise the money at a pretty good valuation and yeah, take, take that swing. And so it was, you know, it was very much, you know, something that evolved over time. It's not like it happened quickly. You know, if I look back on it now, it could have happened a lot faster if I had the same goals in mind as I do now and really understood things. But as well, we also had to wait for some of these inflection points, like, you know, the million downloads per episode podcast start happening, you know, the big investments coming from big companies, the COVID kind of surge and all of that really played into making it possible to do it in a way that was pretty valuable. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, so you, you raised this money. What's the use of funds, right? Because people listening, obviously, if you raise like from VC, that there's big goals that come with that to go 10x because with a lot of SaaS companies, it's like, are you product-led growth? Are you sales-led growth? Is it founder sales-led? And it looks like you've done a phenomenal job with being like product-led. And you kind of even mentioned before, it's like, oh, we're, we're doing more marketing for Zencaster and you're launching marketing tools. Talk to me about your thought process of taking this money and like, where is that going? Is that all to growth? Is that into engineering? And how do you think through that? You know, we have historically been very into product-led growth, you know, from the beginning and then even into the fundraising phase. I think we probably should have been more focused on or more balanced on the marketing side as well. You know, now the, now the space has gotten a lot more competition the core just like recording piece of it has gotten more commoditized. And so we've had to figure out, A, how do we differentiate from a product standpoint? Remote recording itself is is not so unique anymore. And we've done that by sort of focusing on benefit-based product stuff for podcasters. Like this is not only the place to like create your recordings, but actually find the success that you're looking for as a podcaster, as well as if you're, you know, just a content marketer as well as getting better at the marketing side. And I think what we found as we dipped our toes into like paid acquisition is Google will take as much money as you want to dump into their platform (laughs) for like display ads and stuff like that. And it's actually so expensive oftentimes that it's really hard to get a positive ROI out of that. And if you research a lot into this space, you always end up coming across like Gary Vaynerchuk content And, you know, his big thing is like, don't dump all that money into those platforms. You can market yourself for free on the social media platforms if you know how to do it. And then it'll say something like, all you have to do is post five to 10 times a day across eight different platforms. And I'm like, well, who can do that? Like who has the, if you're not Gary Vee and don't have somebody following you around all day with a camera. And that's where we've had a big focus recently is you know, podcasters need this. They're not, they don't have typically have money, especially when they're small to dump into paid acquisition. So how do we help them as well as help ourselves figure out how to play into the algorithms of these social media channels, utilize that as essentially free marketing outside of your time and find your audiences there. And this is why we've recently launched our clipping initiative where we use our AI to scan the content that you're creating. And we even have an option to, to interview you and help you create the content. And then create, you know, from each recording session, 20, 30 clips that we then schedule out over the month to post all your social media channels. And if you do this three, four times a month, you've got content multiple times a day going out across all the different channels, 
automatically and it costs you, you know, an hour a month or, you know, maybe four hours a month if you really want to kick it into high gear and it's really batched and you don't have to deal with it every day. So this is something that we're really excited about. Our creators are really excited about. We found that most podcasters in a recent market report, the biggest reason for churn reported by the creators themselves was the pressure to post their content on all these different platforms. You can't just release a podcast episode on RSS. You've got to get it everywhere. Find your audience wherever they're at at, if you're trying to really achieve your growth goals. And doing the podcast is already hard. Finding the guests and doing the research and then having to do, you know, full-time marketing on top of that is just really prohibitive for a lot of people. And so that's the problem that we felt like we could really solve with uh, that product. And not just podcasters need it. This is something that we're using internally. And after this call, I'm going to talk to you about seeing how we can uh, clip up this show and get it broadcast out. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I know we're running up on time. I've got two more questions for you. And by the way, I do love the also creator network that you have. I, I use ConvertKit for my email platform and they've been helping us monetize our email list, which is super exciting. And you guys, and I've been like begging, I, I like want this for the podcast and you guys are offering. And I think that's amazing. It makes your product that much stickier right? Because your retention has to be amazing. So two questions for you. One, let's talk podcasts. If you were starting a podcast today, what advice would you give to people? And this is very selfish for myself on like how to make a successful podcast, whether, and you can go whatever direction you want this. It's like how to make amazing content, different format structures, how to like manage it, scale it, grow it. Like what quick advice would you give to people listening that want to get into podcasting? You know, it's hard to give a single answer because people come into podcasting with so many different goals. Sometimes it's just love of the game. Sometimes it's, they've got a, you know, more and more often, I think it's people that are trying to content market and fill up some sort of funnel with leads. And uh, in that case, you know, one thing that I've found to be really interesting is, you know, podcasting is a great starting point. If you think about it that way, to create that long form content that then you can use to create ad content out of, clips and social media content out of, but also it's a great lead funnel or a great way to funnel leads by just whoever your clients are that you're trying to attract, invite them to your podcast. Now you've got a totally different relationship than I'm just trying to sell you something. It's like you've you've uh, acknowledged their value as a thought leader in the space. Now you have a face-to-face relationship with them and it's a much easier, better way to kind of make the make that contact with the people you're trying to sell to. So I guess that I guess thinking of it in that way would be some of the advice. Also, I would say don't get too hung up on there's a lot of fear that keeps people from either getting started or continuing because I don't I don't know what my theme should be. I don't know like who who's the audience, this and that. And you know, I recently did an interview with Seth Godin and he had this book called The Practice and he said like key to success is not, you know, one of the analogies he wrote was nobody learns how to ride a bike without falling. And so if you're deathly afraid of falling, you're just not going to learn how to ride a bike. You have to lean into that fear and just realize that, you know, the first few attempts, you're probably going to whiff it. Just like with business, you know, I was building a, a totally different startup for a totally different audience that didn't work out, but then eventually led me to pick up on the thread to start working with podcasters. And so so much more about getting out there and trying things than figuring out how to get it perfect out of the gate. Just don't be afraid to to fail, you know, and that's what's going to lead to the success. 
That's such good advice. I literally oscillated for like 18 months. I'm like, what the theme should be the title? I was like, this is so dumb. Just start, right? And it'll it'll be fine. And your first 10 episodes will be so cringe. You hate them, but you will get better and better and better. And the last question I like to ask everybody is, what's the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? It could be like tough love someone gave you or just something that was really helpful as you're trying to like figure stuff out. The nicest thing, interesting. I've never been asked that question before. You know, I, what comes to mind is, you know, you've got investors and advisors that get involved in your company as you grow. And some of them, it's like pulling teeth to even get a response from. And some of them uh, reach out regularly and will just say, hey, what are the bottlenecks? Where can I help? Let's dig in. I'm happy to like get on, uh, let's get on a call whenever you've got time. Let's whiteboard, whatever it is. And, you know, I don't know if it's like kindness or niceness, but it's, that's something that's really appreciated is the people that are proactive about getting in and, and, and just helping out and trying to figure out where your problems are rather than being sort of reactionary. And so those are more rare than you'd, you'd think, but are really, really highly valuable. That's really good advice. You're inspiring me. Some I do some like mentoring through Techstars. Like, crap, I need to be more proactive and reach out to people. So so thank you for that. Well, very cool. Well, Josh, where should we point people if they want to learn more about you or Zencaster? Um, what, what's the best path? Yeah. Um, so we've got Zencaster.com as our product aimed particularly at podcasters. We also recently launched Zen.ai which is our recording and clipping product for if you're just a general content marketer or looking to get your voice out on social and aren't necessarily ready to commit to creating a podcast or not, at least not yet. And then, you know, that's, you know, basically the two places that you can come and find out what we're doing. Also got our blog and, you know, we have our at Zencaster is our Twitter. I'm at Josh on Twitter or on X. I'm at Josh on the web on X, although I'm not as active as I used to be, we get a lot of just customer support going on there. But, you know, I do see the DMs and things. So feel free to reach out. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you so much, man. It's fun to talk with you after using the product for so long. But I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. Happy to do it. Let's, you know, let's do it again anytime. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. 
Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.